0: Hi, I'm Dr. Michael DeTola and I'd like to welcome you to another clinical video presentation from Glidewell Laboratories. We're going to take a closer look at a veneer case here. This is going to be a prep veneer case, and we're going to be doing some pre-preparation recontouring to bring some of the teeth back into the arch so that when we place the depth cuts we pretty much already have our teeth in alignment and this is important to do if you look at how prominent some of the teeth are in this arch if we just go ahead and place depth cuts and then you know reduce to those depth cuts we're still going to have an arch alignment problem so we're going to go ahead and do some recontouring ahead of time get all the teeth back into the arch at least the ones that are out too far into the facial and then we're going to go ahead and place our depth cuts, so we have a uniform reduction based on an ideal or a close to ideal large form so that our technician can go ahead and build this up. This patient's name is Eric. Eric happens to be a, a model. He does a lot of modeling and um, he hasn't been happy about a smile and thinks it's keeping him from getting some jobs. He's got some incisal edge wear on a lot of the teeth. He feels that the color of the teeth do not match, that the color of the uh, central incisors, the value is far lighter than the other teeth. So. We're going to go ahead and begin here with some recontouring on the teeth that are placed too far to the facial. Now on the teeth that are placed too far to the lingual, you could build them up with composite if you want to. Just slap some composite on there, and then you would be placing your depth cuts into the composite that you had bonded onto the tooth. That way you don't overprepare. In this case, we're just going to eyeball that, but we are in fact going to the central incisors, which the patient complained were too far out to the facial and what we're doing is recontouring these to bring them back into where the ideal arch form is going to be so if the lateral incisors are too far to the lingual you may want to build them up with composite to ideal arch form or use an orthodontic wire and set it over the arch to help visualize that here we are working on tooth number 11 as well this was out too far to the facial so we're recontouring this tooth too this is not part of the veneer preparation at this point all we're trying to do is take the teeth that are too far to the facial and bring them back into the ideal arch form. Now that we've completed that, we're actually going to start our preparation sequence, and we always start with a round burr as part of the reverse preparation technique. This is an 801-021 round burr, and we use it to half of its depth. We sink it in along the gingival margin, being careful not to touch the gingiva, and what it's going to do for us is cut a perfect half circle into the tooth and that's going to end up being our margin when you see it later the next step as part of the reverse preparation technique is we're using our depth cutters and we're using this depth cutter you can see the three rings on this burr we're reducing the incisal edge a millimeter and a half Uh, sometimes we'll reduce the incisal edge uh, two millimeters but in this case we're going for a millimeter and a half because we know we're going to extend the teeth notice the ninety-degree angle as the burr goes through the surfaces the incisal edge of the cuspid you always want to hold this burr at a ninety-degree angle to the cable surface to make sure you're getting a true depth cut. We're also going to place this depth cut on posterior teeth as well. We're going to do two millimeters of reduction. There's four rings on that burr and so on our bicuspid veneers, not only do we prep the facial surfaces, but we also wrap over the buccal cusp and reduce that 2 millimeters. And then we take the end of uh, that burr and we make 2 millimeter holes in the buccal cusp on the occlusal surface. The next step is to place the facial depth cuts. Remember, we've already recontoured the facial surface, so this is some additional reduction. We're using a barrel diamond to give ourselves a 0.6 millimeter depth cut, which is more than sufficient for the pressed ceramic veneers that we're going to be doing. So as we drag this across, we'd like to see some metal marks from the smooth part of the shank as it contacts the tooth. So again, we've done, you know, maybe a millimeter of reduction during the recontouring stage and now another 0.6 millimeters. And this is going to comprise enough reduction here so that when the veneers are made, those two teeth will not be sticking out too far to the facial anymore. And that's why it's important to do that contouring ahead of time and get the teeth into the ideal arch form before we make these depth cuts. Again, if you just simply make these depth cuts onto the teeth without analyzing the arch form, you're probably going to end up having veneers in the same arch form as the original teeth were, and a lot of times we want to change that. Now that we place placed the incisal edge depth cuts, we're going to go ahead and connect those, and you can do this with any large round diamond. The goal here is just to quickly uh, connect all of these and get the tooth structure off the incisal edge. We have placed depth cuts on all the teeth, and we follow the original incisal edge outline while we connect those. So it's, you know, pretty flat on the centrals and the laterals, and then it's got the same slope on it when we get to the cuspids as the cuspid originally had. And again, we use a large diamond here just so we're able to do it in the most expedient uh, fashion possible because uh, prepping veneers is, for me, a little bit slower than prepping crown and bridge. Uh, because there's a lot of things we where we limit ourselves, and we have to pay attention a little bit more than on a regular uh, crown or bridge preparation. Once we've connected all the incisal edge depth cuts, we're going to go ahead and connect the facial surface depth cuts again using that same uh, large bur. This is uh, a burr that uh, cuts rather quickly, like an 856018. Just you know, really any bur of your choice at this point that is rounded on the end because it'll help you refine not only the gingival margin but the interproximal margin. So. Again we go ahead and remove two structure until we can no longer see where we have placed our depth cuts. As you might imagine, because of the pre-preparation recontouring that we did, you know, that took off almost a millimeter of two structure, and then taking off an additional 0.6 millimeters. And our goal is, of course, the aesthetic result for the patient who wants to have nice straight teeth. And we always mention to them that to get that kind of result without orthodontics, to do it with veneers, is going to require a little more reduction than we would usually use in a normal veneer case and so when we talk about that and say you know are you willing to take off a little more tooth in order to achieve the aesthetic result that you told me that you want when they say yes we say okay well one of the things you need to know as we prepare these teeth a little bit deeper is there's always a possibility for uh, the need for endodontic treatment and we know that as we go deeper into the dentin, it gets a little tougher to achieve a good bond and uh, it's really just up to the patient you know if they're willing to uh, correct you know their teeth to uh, a certain level but not go all the way, then it's up to them. Now we're using a thinner burr, like an 856016, to go in, and we're removing an amalgam. There's a DO amalgam in this bicuspid. So anytime there's an old restoration like that, we just go ahead and remove it, and then we're going to connect that into the veneer preparation. So when it's all done, the facial surface will be prepared. We will have chewed the buckle cusp, and we will incorporate all of that into uh, our inlay preparation as well. And it's going to be one piece of porcelain that takes the place of the DO inlay and the veneer as well. Now we're going in and just smoothing off some interproximal edges, and you can see this is a non-serrated finishing strip. And we're just taking it back and forth because if you notice, some of the margins look just a little bit ragged, you know, where we got close to breaking contact or did break contact. So we just go in there and smooth that off with those strips so that the technician has a nice smooth margin to wax to. Once that's done, we're going to go ahead and place our first cord. This is a double zero cord from Ultradent. There is no uh, any kind of hemostatic agent on this or any medication in the cord because this cord does stay in place. And notice as I put this in on this central incisor, you can see all of a sudden the margin gets exposed. When this double zero cord goes in, it retracts the tissue about a half millimeter and it gives you a real good look at, um, at what the margin looks like and you can see kind of that irregular outline and so that's when I like to finish my margins. I never consider my margins finished until this first cord is in place. As you see on veneers, one of the neat things is being able to reach on the lingual and pull the cord through. Uh, to, and get most of the cord down. So what I've done here is flossed the mesial of the cord into place, just like it was with dental floss, and then I pack around the facial with an instrument. And as I get close to the end here, I'll usually reach uh, into the palate, grab the other end of the cord, and pull it down into place, interproximally, just so I have I can use the cord packing instrument the least amount possible I don't think there's any and here we go trying to pull through the contact and down it goes just about all the way I don't think there's any doubt that when we pack cord even if we use an atraumatic uh, technique that we are probably doing you know a little bit of damage to the attachment so the less we can use the instrument and the more we can do it with actions like uh, flossing you know in between the teeth to get down in or approximately into the papilla the better off we are. Obviously, on the facial surfaces, it's a little more difficult, and uh, we need to use the instrument there. But um, you know, we use short strokes and try not to use too much pressure. And that's one of the reason I like these cords from Ultradent, these Ultra Pack cords, because of the fact that they are um, uh, hollow and they will compress very easily into the sulcus now that we've done that it's time to go and uh, finish our margins you can do this um, if you have an electric handpiece like i'm using here if you wish you can turn the rpms down and use it on a low speed without water that's one of the great advantages of an electric handpiece is as you turn The RPMs down, you still have a ton of torque and can still prepare the tooth. Now you're really looking at what the margin's supposed to look like. And if you take this margin at this point, drop it down to the new tissue level where the double zero cord is, when you take the double zero cord out and the tissue rebounds, you're gonna end up having a margin just slightly subgingival, just about half a millimeter subgingival. And that's fine for me. I don't mind having something just slightly subgingival. If you'd rather just smooth it off and not finish it down to the gingiva and have super gingival margins, that's fine too. Once we've gone around and refined the margins with the first cord in place, we put an Ultra Pack number 2 cord in place. This will retract the tissue even further, and really what we're doing here is uh, basically moving the tissue back so we can get a good impression. We're not going to touch the margins anymore unless at this point we find some big discrepancy, but usually at this point the margin looks really good finishing the margins doesn't take a lot of time because remember in the beginning we use that round burr that was the first step after we did the recontouring we used that round burr to car to prep a perfect half circle into the gingival margin not only does that give us a great depth cut which is fantastic this depth cut of about 0.75 millimeters but it also gives us the the beautiful formation of a modified shoulder margin by being a half circle if you can picture what a half circle would look like if prepped into the gingival Third of the tooth. By the time you do the axial reduction, you're left with a quarter circle, and that quarter circle is really what a uh, heavy chamfer or a slight shoulder does look like. And one of the big problems here in the laboratory is doctors not doing enough reduction in the gingival third. And so, by using that round bur, it assures you of enough uh, reduction in the gingival third to make sure you don't have bulky. Restorations and bad emergence profile, and at the same time, it serves as the basis of your margin so that all you have to do afterwards is smooth it out. Once that top cord has been in place for 8 to 10 minutes, and uh, not 3 to 4 minutes, definitely 8 to 10 minutes, we're going to go ahead and take our cords out and take an impression. That cord that I used right there, the 2-cord, is impregnated with epinephrine. Anybody We use epinephrine on anybody who can handle it in their local anesthetic injection. We will use it uh, in the anesthetic. If they can't, then we won't use it in the uh, anesthetic injection. And we just trace around the uh, facial margins, and uh, we go in approximately as well with this and then we'll move on to the lingual a little bit. The lingual margin we basically prepared at the same time we were doing the incisal edge reduction. All we did was tilt the bur back towards the lingual at about a 30 degree angle. We no longer prep chamfers on the lingual of our veneer preps or a specific margin per se. Basically, you know, we reduce the uh, incisal edge and tip the bur back and that's all we do. That was medium body material that I syringed around the teeth and that's heavy body material in the tray. I'm a huge fan of simultaneous impressions and it's very rare that we'll do a two-step impression. In fact, it rarely happens at all. Now the reason I syringe medium body around the teeth is because of the fact that if we use light body, we have more of a chance that it's going to actually tear when it gets subgingival, especially if the impression touches that first cord. So I use heavy body because I have enough retraction where I don't need something really runny and I want the additional tear strength as well so that it'll pull the cord out instead of the cord holding onto the material and ripping it. Once we've done that, we're going to do our bite registration and patient bites into the bite registration. This is Capture Hard Bite. As they bite into it, we put a bite stick in, so we want to take it and we want to parallel the patient's inner pupillary line so that uh, if the lab technician has any question about where the incisal plane or the smile line is supposed to go, they can use that stick and parallel it to the tabletop. We also took the precaution of paralleling our incisal edges to the inner pupillary line as well in case the stick bite gets lost or in case you don't send a stick bite. Now this is a putty wash matrix that we made of the diagnostic wax up and this is going to act as our template for the provisionals. A few words of advice for the temporary veneers. First of all we're going to utilize a diagnostic wax up. This does several things for us. The diagnostic wax up uh, allows us to show the patient what we're expecting the case to look like. The diagnostic wax up uh, allows us to uh, transfer uh, this information to the patient's mouth. We can do it pre-operatively very roughly, of course, because we haven't reduced the teeth at all, or we can do uh, what we're going to do today and use a putty wash impression to do this. And once we've made our putty wash impression of the diagnostic wax up, we mark the midline just to make insertion of this easier into the mouth. We will have, in fact, transferred this information onto the patient's prep so that they get to wear this for the next week or so and be able to check this out and see if they like how it looks. Now one of the things, obviously, that the laboratory has to do when making this diagnostic wax up is to prep the teeth uh, to be able to put the wax in place. And when you look at Eric's beginning arch, you can see that he's definitely got some teeth that are too far facial and some that are too far lingual. So especially on the teeth that are too far facial, 8, 9 and 11, they have to do a good amount of preparation to be able to do this diagnostic wax up. And the question comes up then, you know, how much do the lab have to reduce? and that's what you see here on the prep guide, is the model showing how much the lab reduced before the wax was put on. So what I instruct the laboratory to do is to prep the model, when they're done prepping it, dupe the model, and then they do the diagnostic wax up. And by doing that, I'm able to see how much they removed, how much tooth structure was removed from the tooth to get the desired result. The instructions to the laboratory are always the same, please remove the least amount of tooth structure possible to be able to give me this kind of nice arch form. So when I begin to prep the case, I go in and do some reduction on the facial surface to be able to start to get the arch form back into shape. Then I place depth cuts and do my reductions. And when I'm done, I take a look at this and see if in fact the preparations in the mouth match the prep guide. You can also do a suck down over this if you want or a putty matrix and then take that to the mouth or just use it visually to compare what you see here uh, to what you see in the patient's mouth. I find the putty wash to be the best way to take an impression of the diagnostic wax up in the most accurate some doctors still like to do a suck down so what we had the laboratory do was take the diagnostic wax up and they duplicated it poured it up in stone and then did a suck down over that but you know it's if you look closely at this in these areas around the gingiva in between the teeth this material just doesn't adapt into these embrasures like it does when you do the putty wash impression this as you'll see in the video when we take this out of the patient's mouth after putting the bisacryl into the patient's mouth we're gonna get a fantastic fit and a great look to those temporaries anytime I do it with the suck down stent like this I have to go in and carve the embrasures or else it looks like one big tooth across the facial aspects of our temporaries and this was the way we used to do it this is the way we might do a single unit crown if we have to or something like that, but when it comes to doing eight or in the case of Eric, ten veneers on his maxilla, we are definitely always going to use uh, the putty wash impression of the diagnostic wax up because it saves us at least a half hour when it comes to actually fabricating the provisional restorations in the patient's mouth. We're going to do kind of a, a suck down technique, if you will, onto the teeth. In other words, we're going to place the temporaries directly onto the teeth and lock them into place without the use of any cement this is certainly the easiest way uh, to do veneer temporaries and uh, the fastest way and in nine out of ten cases it works uh, just fine as long as you don't try to remove these veneers how do we make this uh, template well the first thing we do is take some impression putty and mix it up and push it down over the diagnostic wax up and let it set out of the mouth for about four or five minutes Once we've done that, we take it off. We don't do any relief on the putty. We just refill that putty matrix with the green light body material you see here and push that back down onto the diagnostic wax up and let that set. And once that's done, I mark the midline. And then we're going to go ahead and fill this with our temporary material and then take it back into the patient's mouth. And this really does work well because it gives the patient an ability to see what their veneers are going to look like. So the cords are out now and we're ready to go ahead and begin our provisionalization. So we're going to go ahead and place some Luxatemp. Many times we'll use the bleach shade of Luxatemp, especially if a patient is interested in having white teeth. We want to give them a preview of what really white teeth look like. Also with thin veneers, the bleach shade works well because a lot of the underlying tooth shade comes through the temporaries as well. So we fill it with the bisacryl material, seated into the mouth, and you'll notice some excess up at the top and this peels off relatively easy because we're using bisacryl material instead of acrylic there is no doughy stage and so basically this is just going to completely set onto the teeth and then we're going to take the template off so we watch for this material on the top to be fully set before we try to take it off again we're going to lock these uh temporaries onto the preps we're not going to attempt to remove them at all in fact the some of the bigger failures that i've had with this technique is when i thought you know what i'm going to try to get these off and i got them halfway off and then left them on we don't want to break that seal So once the bisacryl has set completely we'll grab the template and take it off and uh just about most of the time we have no flash and you can see how those look it's information transferred directly from the diagnostic wax up and they look really nice and as you saw all we did was take that putty wash impression of the diagnostic wax up fill it with the temporary material put it in and wait four or five minutes so that's about it there's a little extra excess material usually around at the margin and so i've got a little gold knife here to do this Oftentimes I'll use a finishing burr in a handpiece and I won't even run it. I'll just take the burr around the margin without running it and just smooth it around the margin and break off any little extra pieces of bisacryl that are there. Uh, You could use almost anything you wanted as long as it was sharp like a burr or like this gold knife. I prefer not to take a spinning burr around the margins to clean it off um, because I don't want to do any damage to the margins. What I do like to do with the burr is to open the gingival embrasures. You know one of my biggest causes of failures, in restorative cases has been leaving too much material in the gingival embrasures and putting pressure onto the gingiva and causing it to recede for the two weeks that the provisionals were in place. So I'm going to go ahead with a burr there and without touching the margins, open those gingival embrasures. In fact, I don't care if I have spaces there, I'd prefer to have spaces so the patient can actually swish water back and forth or tooth and gum tonic and and help to keep the area clean. Now we're going to go ahead and adjust um, the occlusion. This is a uh, 7408 finishing burr and uh, we're just going along the lingual and usually before we even check the occlusion we'll go along and just make sure that the junction between the tooth and the provisional is nice and smooth so it doesn't drive the patient's tongue crazy this is actually a fairly dull burr i like dull burrs for this kind of thing and don't like to use new burrs so really we want to do more prepping or all of it on the bisacryl rather than on the tooth so we have the patient bite up and down on his own to check and make sure there's no spots that are hitting early once we've gone in and checked to see what's going on And those provisionals took all of about uh, 10 minutes, and that's really a nice, quick way to be able to do it. And there is a nice seal between the temporaries and the tooth, and they really are held on with mechanical retention and the fact that they're all splinted together. And when you add those two things together, most of those temporary veneers will stay on for a long time. Uh, Here we are at our second appointment. It's been two weeks since the patient's been in, and we're going to go ahead and take a look at the gingiva and see uh, how everything looks around the provisionals as we zoom in here. Of course, our goal is to see pink healthy tissue here for a couple of reasons. You know, we'd like to see it pink and healthy uh, just because that means it is healthy, and also uh, for the reason that we're going to have to do some bonding here. And there's nothing worse than um, bonding into an area that's about to bleed and we need to be careful because gingiva that's been irritated by provisionals if you get acid etch on that during the bonding procedure uh, it will bleed and you know that's one of the things i like about no prep veneers at time is that we're always etching next to healthy tissue for the most part because patients tissues are healthy they haven't been prepped they haven't had any provisionals and as a result their gingiva is healthy and when we etch around it it doesn't tend to bleed but when you get irritated gingiva from a rough margin on a provisional or if you haven't opened the embrasure enough, um, when you etch, if it happens to touch the gingiva and it's really difficult not to touch the gingiva with the etch, then you will in fact see some bleeding and that will absolutely contaminate your bonding site. And my experience has been if you contaminate the bonding site in the gingival third, the veneer might stay on, but as time goes on, the patient will come back with some micro leakage or kind of a black margin, you know, around one of the veneers and want to know what's going on. And you're going to have to pop off that veneer, clean up the area, and then place a new veneer. So in my experience, if blood or saliva for that matter contaminates the bonding field, uh, you're going to have a leakage around that gingival margin. And it's going to be very apparent Uh, to the patient is going to have to be replaced. The patient has had uh, this in for two weeks now from the diagnostic wax-up, and we called him in the meantime and asked him how, if he liked how it looked, and he does like how it looks, and uh, you know, we knew we were going to have to do that much preparation to get to the stage where it would look like the diagnostic wax-up. So at any point during those two weeks, the patient can call and say, hey, I think my eye teeth are too long, or can my front teeth be longer or shorter, and it's a neat way to use the diagnostic wax-up as kind of a preview of what's coming up, and then we send the diagnostic wax-up to the technician and let them know that's what we're trying to achieve we're going to go ahead and remove the temporary veneers now I've tried it with hemostats before and it just really doesn't work very well because of the mechanical undercuts So what we're doing here is just using an old diamond and placing what looks like depth cuts, but we're just basically cutting through the bisacryl material down to about the level of the tooth on the facial and the incisal. And then we're going to use a typical crown remover to go in and start popping these apart. And usually the veneers will come off about two at a time, and it makes it pretty easy to do it. Again, we we don't have to save these temporaries. We can go ahead and destroy these as we take them off because we have held on to that putty wash, template. So if anything happens today where we try on the veneers and the patient doesn't like how they look and they want to have them remade, that's not a problem because in about 10 minutes we can make a new set of temporaries. And in the past, you know, if we had done freehand Uh, composite temporaries, we would hate to have to go through that all over again. So we're we're making slots in the facial all the way back to the second bicuspids and then into the occlusal surface of the posterior teeth or the incisal edge of the anterior teeth. And then we're going to take our crown remover and put it in and just start popping things off. Just put it in a twist and see what happens. And usually What happens is it'll break between the two cuts, so as you go around and do this, typically you'll take off half of one veneer and half of another veneer at the same time. Usually as you turn and break it, uh, as those cuts break, you'll end up taking up the segments between the breaks. So we're going to go around to all these veneers and give them a little pop with the crown remover and let the patient know they're going to hear a little cracking sound, and it's just the old temporaries and, uh, and not to worry about it. We haven't spot welded these in place at all, so we're not um, worried about bonding agent on the tooth or cracking the tooth at all or anything like that. These have just been mechanically retained into place and the fact that they're splinted together. So as I pull these off, that's exactly what you see, half of one veneer and half of the other veneer coming off. And um, usually at that point, when you turn it and you see that it's moved a little bit, you can either wiggle it with your fingers or wiggle it with some hemostats to get it off the rest of the way. In any small areas where we have some bleeding, we wanna be very proactive about controlling these areas. So before we even get close to bonding in that area, We're going to use a hemostatic agent, and my favorite one is Expacil uh, from Kerr. And they market this as a replacement for cord packing, which it can be used for, but I don't really use it for that. My main use is for things like this, where we have an area that's bleeding and that looks like it's going to bleed. uh, And it's a putty-like material that can be pushed into place right over the areas uh, that may or may not bleed. And it's got aluminum chloride in it, which is a great hemostatic agent. Now that we've had a chance to control the bleeding with the Expacil, we're going to go ahead and try in the porcelain veneers at this point. Um, We've already cleaned the preparations with pumice. I prefer to use preppy. It's pre-mixed and uh, it's a nice consistency. If it dries out at all, you can just add a little drop of water. And we're going to try in the veneers and typically we'll try them in one at a time without any try and paste in them so we're able to check the margins and we're able to make sure they fit without having any contact problems if you try in all the veneers together right off the bat you're not going to be sure whether or not it's a contact problem or a margin problem and so in this case what we've had the opportunity to do is try them all in one at a time without any try and paste so it doesn't uh, cover the margins at all and once we verified the fit of all of them now we're going to try them in together with the try-and-paste. We're going to use a clear try-and-paste. We always start with the clear because it won't uh, opaque the veneer at all, and uh, we just want to see what it looks like with the translucent uh, cement in place. This happens to be the cement from Ivoclar Vivident. This is a peel. They call it the zero shade, and it is very, very clear. In fact, if you put it over uh, print on a newspaper, you can actually read right through it and there's not a lot of translucent veneer cements that will allow you to do that. So now that we've had a chance to try them all in, we help the patient smile because he's anesthetized and let him take a look at it. We hand him a mirror and he has a chance to look at it and check it out. And If he's happy with what he sees, we're going to go ahead and begin the cementation process. And he was happy with what he saw, so we're going to go ahead at this point and begin the bonding process. We're using brush and bond here for our veneers i've been doing this for about the last eight months on certain cases and having very good luck with it it's not a total etch system like we're accustomed to it's a self etch system and so anytime i have to do more than Um, ideal recontouring and preparation on the teeth like here. I want to go ahead and use a self-etching system because in in my hands and in my practice, it has caused a lot less post-operative sensitivity than I have received with the total etch system. So we're going to go ahead and use the self-etch system here. So we place uh, a coat of the Brush and Bond on and then we use a little bit of oil-free, water-free air to evaporate the solvent. And then the film thickness of it is thin enough where we can go ahead and cure it into place before the veneers go on. And I feel this is important in my mind because I want to make sure at this point that I get a really nice hybrid layer formation on the dentin. So I want to go ahead and cure this so I don't have to cure through the veneer and the cement to get that bonding agent to be able to cure. Then we're going to go ahead and place the veneer in place with the clear cement. You can see how clear it is, that little bit hanging from the lingual and the excess that you see at the margin. And we're always going to start with teeth number eight and nine first. They're obviously the most important teeth in the smile. And uh, if those two teeth don't turn out correctly, we're going to definitely have some problems. So we always start off just by concentrating on those two teeth. I'm using an orange wood stick on the facial surface just to press it down get any excess cement out from under the veneer, and um, then we'll use it on the incisal edge, make sure the veneers are seated all the way. And once we're confident they're seated all the way, um, we can get ready to go ahead and cure it. So I'll hold an orange wood stick onto both of the veneers, just holding them down into place, um, or move over to one, number eight, like I'm doing now. And I'll hold it down on the incisal, and I'll hold it down on the facial as well, just like that. And then my assistant will come in and use a technique called uh, tack and wave. And basically, she's just gonna cure it for a couple of seconds in the area of the gingival margin and by doing this it's going to set the excess cement at the gingival margin so that I can easily clean it up with an explorer and be able to um, remove most of the excess without having to use a handpiece to do it because of the potential damage that could be caused to the tooth. Here we're removing some of the excess cement from the lingual margin and if there isn't, if it is too runny at that point, again, just have your assistant come by and wave the light over it a couple of times like that until you feel that it's starting to hit its gel state. And one of the things I like about a peel is when it hit, hits its gel state, you can clean it off almost like it was a conventional crown and bridge cement. And you can see we're running the Explorer down, and we're able to remove the cement in rather large chunks. And this is a nice way to be able to do it, just to run along the margin as we're doing here and remove most of the cement. And uh, that's one of the benefits of using that tack and wave technique. Because if you let it set the resin cement set rock hard, it's going to be very difficult to remove it. And you will need a handpiece. And there's a chance you're going to break the glaze on the porcelain. It's going to be hard to get that back on there, especially around the gingival margin. And you may damage the tooth slightly at the same time. So we get the material to its initial cure, clean off the excess, clean off in between the centrals and the laterals. And then we do a little tack and wave on the lingual as well and clean off any of the material from the lingual margin. And then we're uh, likely to go in and cure the rest of the veneer or, or cure it again at the gingival margin for a couple seconds and then go in between those two teeth with some dental floss to see if we can get through there as we're doing here. I would say about half the time we can get in between the teeth and remove any excess cement. That we have there and i would say the other half of the time we need to use a serrated strip like the one from access dental to go in between there again one of the reasons we cure the gingival third first is because we know when we clean in approximately there is the potential to have a little bleeding there and bleeding's fine as long as the material is already cured if it bleeds onto uncured material then we're going to have a problem now we we'll go ahead and place the brush and bond on sometimes the rest of the teeth on the side, other times we'll do it on just the lateral and the cuspid. It all kind of depends how you're looking in terms of moisture control. You know, another advantage of using a self-etching system like brush and bond is that you don't have to etch the teeth. As I mentioned before, that will sometimes lead to post-operative sensitivity, or at least it has in my hands. The other thing is, if you do have some irritated gingiva and you use your 37% phosphoric acid, As I mentioned, if it touches the gingiva at all, you will have some bleeding. And with these self-etching systems, that doesn't happen. You'll notice the tissue might turn a little bit white, as you see right there, but you can go ahead and evaporate the solvent. That whiteness will uh, go away. That's not a permanent effect at all. But had I used uh, 37% phosphoric acid here, to etch those teeth and it got around the gingiva, there's a pretty good chance I would have some bleeding to take care of at this point. And this is exactly the time we don't want any bleeding. This stage of the bonding procedure is absolutely where we don't want to have any bleeding at all. So using the self-etching primer for me is a, a big advantage because I know it's not going to cause any bleeding. Once again, we have cured the Brush and Bond onto the tooth before placing the veneer on. We've now placed the translucent cement into the lateral incisor into the cuspid and onto the second bicuspid, and you can see again how clear that material is as it comes out of the edge. While trying in these uh, veneers, I happen to notice that uh, for whatever reason, they went in better when the second bicuspid went in first and the first bicuspid went in second, and that's part of what you learn during the try-in process is maybe because of a path of insertion issue, there is one tooth that wants to go in before another tooth, and that's part of the analysis that I do in my mind as we're trying all of these in. Again, we're gonna put pressure on the facial surface as we're doing here. I've got my finger on the incisal edge, putting pressure on it towards the preparation. And then my assistant's just gonna hit that for a couple of seconds, waving the tip back and forth to kinda tack that cement and tack the veneer into place. And then we're gonna go and check with the Explorer. Sometimes she hasn't cured enough and it's still too runny and I need her to come back and cure it a little bit more. If I still can't get through with floss afterwards, or sometimes just anyway, I'll take this serrated strip. And what I like about the serrated strip is that it's smooth on both sides, so it won't open any contacts. But because it's serrated, it'll cut through any excess resin cement that's between the teeth, and at the same time, uh, it'll remove those uh, little you know, particles of cured cement. You'll see them come out towards the gingiva. Then you can run the dental floss through with a knot in it and remove any extra little pieces that happen to be in there. Once we've accomplished removal uh, of all the cement, or at least all the cement we can get to on the facial, the lingual, and in approximately, we're going to go ahead and do our final cure. Again, there's no such thing as over-curing here, so even if you're using a fast light like um, the LE that we're using here, you may want to cure it for 30 or 40 seconds on each sur- surface just to be on the safe side, even though the manufacturer doesn't necessarily recommend that. My assistant is doing all this curing while I'm doing something else, so uh, it's not a big problem in terms of time. Then we go ahead and place the veneers on the other side in the same fashion, place all of them at the same time. And now we're going around with a dull 7408 burr, the same one that we used during the temporary technique, just to remove any additional cement along the lingual margin where the tooth and the veneer come together and smoothing that off. And once we've had a chance to do that and smooth it all off, we'll go ahead and check the occlusion. We have the patient bite lightly onto some uh, AcuFilm and check to see where the spots are and then make any adjustments so that we have all our natural teeth hitting without too much pressure on the veneers and then we'll check the lateral and protrusive excursions on the veneers as well. You can see here on the after what a big difference it has made. We we took something where the arch form was uh, kind of out of whack uh, according to the patient and the centrals were really prominent and we managed to preserve that central dominance but at the same time they don't stick out as far as they did and uh, the patient had three different shades on his anterior teeth before that he didn't like and he wanted to have a more uniform shade and a, a higher value shade as well and you can see we've accomplished that goal as well. And, uh, As you see a picture of him afterwards here a portrait photograph you can see why he is a model he's a very nice looking guy and before he just didn't have the smile uh, to go with that he felt like it was holding him back from certain jobs and now he's got the smile that he's happy with and I'm happy with it as well so it turned out really well and it's a good example of how to use pre preparation recontouring to make sure that an, an arch that's not ideal ends up in ideal alignment once the veneers are placed. On behalf of everyone here at Glidewell Laboratories, we'd like to thank you for your time and thank you for your commitment to quality dentistry.